1: everyone, and welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm your host, Sean Smith, joined as always by my co-host, Derek Terry. Derek, did you have a nice weekend?
2: I did. I had a good weekend. How about you?
1: I can't complain. I actually got to sit back and rest a little bit. Actually, I think I only wrote like one story all weekend, which is probably the first time in months since I've done that.
2: Yeah, I, uh, I typically unplug on the weekend, especially now. I mean, we, uh, shall we actually got football to write about this week. You know, there's a U.K. starting practice today, I think, but our first media uh, availability is going to be tomorrow. So if you're fans, I know there's uh, a good number of fans out there who enjoy reading practice reports and things like that. It's going to be different this year. Um, you know, typically in the preseason, you'll get uh, early uh, football interviews, before school ever starts with, you know, I think UK started classes today as well, so the practices will be in the evening. So if you're on the lookout for those practice interviews, they'll probably be coming, I'm guessing, around 7.30 or 8 this year. So just another (laughs) thing that's been different uh, during the coronavirus.
1: And supposedly we'll have Mark Stoops too at some point tomorrow. We don't know confirmed times yet, but there could be on the next episode you could get some audio of Stoops built in around what we're talking about. And the big thing that we're going to talk about today is Cole Kubelik came out with his SEC power rankings Saturday. And, Derek, surprisingly, he had Kentucky at number five. I think that, that that's that's a really good spot for Kentucky. But I guess over the years we've just sort of got accustomed to them not sort of getting a lot of attention and praise, that we thought maybe they'll be in that seven to eight range. When it came out number five, I was actually surprised.
2: I was too. Uh, and we'll obviously have Cole on here to talk about that. I'll be curious to, uh, to hear some of his answers on on where he's placed some teams. I mean, Florida over Georgia is another one. that's not shocking. I think you've seen that a lot this preseason, that people think this could be Florida's year to to win the SEC East again for the first time since I think 2015, or maybe 20, 2016 actually. But it's off five ranking for UK. I mean, it certainly caused a stir. How, how many he got 332 replies, so he didn't get ratio. Cole didn't, but he certainly had a lot of uh, he had a lot of Tennessee fans and uh, Auburn fans. Of course, he's an Auburn alum. Kind of questioning that uh, why Kentucky was ranked above their teams, and understandable, I guess, if uh, if you're not used to something like that, it's not that surprising that um, these these schools are kind of wondering what's going on and. For U.K., though, I mean, that's a great pub. I mean, SEC Network guy, and he's not at the first one I mean, we had Chris Doering on, who was also high on the Wildcats. I don't think Chris put out his own uh, power rankings, did he? Not that I'd seen anyway. No,
1: not a. that I've seen. You know,
2: I don't know that U.K. would have been that high, but I certainly think they, they would have been in that top half or very close to that top half, just given some of the comments he had about them. So high expectations for, for Stoops and the boys this year. Well, just those teams that
1: they're in the top five with when you look at those teams, the, the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Floridas, the LSUs, I mean, we're talking programs that in the last decade have won a national championship or, you know, played for a national championship with Florida going back to the late, you know, 2008, somewhere through there. But, I mean, that's where you want to be, right? Like if you've been one of those low-tier SEC programs for most of your history, and I, I think we talked about this last week that, you know, you're moving into that middle tier and you have to move to that middle tier before you get to the top tier, but – I mean, what kind of – I mean, when recruits see that you're on that list and Twitter's a a popular place for it, you know, that graphic going Twitter, Instagram, when recruits see, man, you know, Kentucky's right there in the the ballpark with LSU, just in rankings, I mean, that's that's eye-opening to a lot of people.
2: It really is. I mean, it was uh, a year that – if it were a normal year, I think they'd been pushing double-digit wins again. Now, obviously, things are going to be viewed differently. I mean, if you look at the – SEC opponents that they drew, I think kinda of what we talked about a few weeks ago. This made sense. You got Alabama at number one, but then you got Ole Miss at ten. So he's got them considerably placed above Ole Miss. It's a game you think Kentucky should be able to win at home. But one point I wanted to make too, we had a episode last week or maybe the week before, I forget, on the um like I was just talking about the two new SEC West opponents. So look, at, look what LSU drew, 14 Vanderbilt, 12 Missouri. <laughs> so they were living right during that. But, you know, I saw some people on Twitter, some prominent writers complaining that that they, that they thought Alabama's schedule uh, was soft. But, I mean, look at who Alabama's playing. Uh, going to my Coles rankings, they got the number three team in Georgia, which they were already scheduled to play. You get number five, Kentucky. And I forget the other East opponent that they drew. But they're, uh, And they play Tennessee at eight. So, I mean, that doesn't seem like a very soft schedule to me, that, that they had to draw from the East. I mean, no. you've got teams that I, I don't know that I would say Kentucky's younger to Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama, but at the same time, I, it's, not, it's not like they drew Vanderbilt or, or South no. Carolina or Missouri or somebody like that. I mean, it's, I think it'll be a game that at least uh, pushes them a little bit.
1: And then you look at Tennessee, you know, and what yep. they already had is their draw with Alabama and who was the other one they had on their schedule this Your year? fans too? would
2: argue that they should be at number five. So
1: so now know, they get buy yeah now you get Auburn and A and M who Cole has but middle of the pack in the SEC. Yeah. Uh, I think looking at his rankings, Derek. There's one thing. If this plays out the way it it where it's supposed to, Will Muschamp will not be at South Carolina next year if they are the 11th That's best easy. team in the
2: league. Yeah, unless he's saved by the coronavirus kind of yeah. budget, because you know, that's going to affect a lot of schools with the financial point. That could save him. For, he had a ridiculous buyout last year. I think it was like 18 million. So I don't know what that came down to this year, but he might be a guy who benefits from, from this. Uh, I hate to use the word benefit from a global pandemic, but there's no question that. He he was certainly on the hot seat. Derek Mason, I have no idea what Vanderbilt even cares about anymore. They might just keep him if he wants to be there. Even if they go on 10, they might just let him stay on the sidelines because good luck attracting anybody to come to to that place with the kind of lack of attention they're paying to their athletic programs at the moment, or football specifically.
1: Yeah, now today we will know Kentucky's entire schedule. So we're recording at 10 a.m. on Monday morning. So by the time – I know, very early. But by the time that you, some of you listen to this, you might listen to it tonight. Some of you might listen to it tomorrow morning. I don't know. But some of this will probably, well, it won't be old news with the power rankings, but the schedule we'll talk about on Tuesday's episode. So 3 p.m. today during the Paul Feinbaum show, we will find out Kentucky's week one opponent and the rest of the SEC week one matchups. It's going to be interesting to see who that is. I know I've told you that I don't know why I have a gut feeling. For some reason, I just feel like it's going to be Kentucky-Tennessee, which I think would – I'd be all for, honestly. Play on week one. Do something weird in a year that has been weird. Regardless, I think it's going to be somebody that they don't ever play anyhow, like early in season. Like, usually they get Florida. Who knows? I'd like to, Florida might be a November game this year for all we know.
2: Yeah, I think the one thing you want to avoid is uh, Georgia, Florida, and Alabama all in a row. I can't imagine the SEC would do that to them. But – I think Tennessee would be a really cool um, opening opponent. It would mean U.K. was starting on the road. But, again, with no fans in the stands, I don't know what that's going to mean this year, honestly. It, I guess we'll just have to see how how it plays out. But, overall, I agree with you. I think it would be cool to to have a team like that, maybe play some teams earlier. You know, typically, you get Tennessee in November. How about playing in them in September? Florida, you always get in September. Like you said, maybe get them in November. Something different to switch it up. Um, I don't really have any predictions. Cause I don't know how it's going to play out with with who's at top, but I could see regional games being played earlier, just easier travel early in the season. I don't know though how it's going to play out, but Cats and the Vols would be kind of cool. If, you know, we talked about before uh, moving on this podcast, but it used to be a deal where UK would start off with Louisville every year, first game or one of the first games of the year. I know sometimes they played it as a third game of the year, but used to have all summer to talk about the rivalry game leading in. That's, that's pretty cool. I, I do like now how it sets up that UK plays Louisville the, in the rivalry re- week like everybody else does. But I don't know. Is that your prediction, Cats and balls, or just your, that, your
0: hope? That's,
1: that's just, I guess it's my hope. And I guess if I just made a prediction, that would be who I'd predict. Because I, I told you yesterday that I just – I don't know. Like It seems to me like for week one, they're going to try to keep teams close to home. So Kentucky at Tennessee, you know, maybe Georgia, Auburn, since that's a game that's not far away from one another, Florida Carolina. I don't. I just have a feeling maybe, or then maybe, who knows, they might send Kentucky to Florida first game for all we know. But um, I think it'll be interesting. I think it's going to be different than what we usually see. Like I would like to see Tennessee, Kentucky play in September, Kentucky, Florida play in November. i just like to see something different for once. And who knows, maybe after this is all said and done and we get back to a sense of normal with the schedule, it might change the layout of it, you know, permanently. Maybe Kentucky, Florida won't play in September anymore. Who knows? Maybe it'll be like it was in the 80s when Florida had to come to Lexington in the cold, which would definitely change things moving forward. So I'm interested to see what all comes from this weird 2020 season if and if we get to play it.
2: Absolutely. It it is a year to to do things differently, I think, than what you've done in the past. Again, I don't want to call this a a throwaway year because – it's not, especially if you get to play. There's still – the games are being played, there's incentive to win, like always. But it's it's going to definitely be a strange year. I mean, I think I, – I don't know. You think people are going to view this season with an asterisk? I mean, if you do well, I mean, you're going to say, okay, they, they did this. But some guys are probably going to – I don't know. No one in the SEC, I don't think, has really opted out yet. So maybe that part of it remains to be seen. But people are going to say, okay, you didn't have any fans in the stands. Things were different. It's not your true – you know, if you go down to just just theoretically, if you go down to Alabama and win, are people going to view that the same as if you went down there to Brian Denny and they had eighty thousand fans? You know, probably not. But at the same time, what a what a thing you could use as your program. I mean, they I don't think they beat Alabama on the road twenties or something like that. Oh yeah. Years, so beat
1: twice beat them twice in program history. Yeah. So I mean, you're you got opportunities, and it is a weird year. But I think depending on how it plays out. If we get into this thing and we're in October and it's going smoothly, I think it'll be looked at as just another year of SEC football. But regardless of what happens, we're going to look back to this year, 20, 30, 40 years from now, and be like, that was a weird time for everything in this world, including sports, and hopefully sports is a part of it. But uh, we're going to have Cole Kublik on this episode, an interview with him. going to talk about his SEC power rankings. We're going to ask him why he's high on Kentucky. I think the offensive line is going to be a big topic, Derek. And then two, I want to ask him what could, what's his one concern? Like what could send Kentucky on the opposite side of what they want to be, or maybe even move them a little bit more up the SEC rankings. So, uh, we're not going to waste any more time talking about the lead into that. We're going to go ahead and jump right into that interview with Cole Kublick. So here is Cole Kublik of the SEC Network. Welcome back, everyone, to Kentucky Daily, as now we're joined on the phone by Cole Kublik of the SEC Network. Cole, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Hey, I appreciate you guys having
1: me. You released your SEC power rankings over the weekend, uh, made BBN happy for sure, made some other programs and fan bases a little bit upset. Uh, We finally get SEC schedules tonight, so does it it feel like we're finally maybe moving towards some college
0: football in the SEC? I think so. I I think we've sort of been – Headed that direction for a little while now. I think we we've been there's been some momentum. There has been some positive movement for a little while. Uh, when you consider really a couple different things, um, you know obviously students came back for voluntary workouts. There were some hiccups early on, but in my opinion that was mostly some younger guys, some immature guys that that made some poor decisions when they arrived back on campus. And then you saw that sort of flatten out and not just in the SEC, but nationally, I think we've seen some really good numbers and some really positive trends over the last two months. People are going to point to Oklahoma and say, what happened? Lincoln Riley just gave this guy seven days off, which why in the hell you would do that right now with everything going on? I have no idea. Uh, one of the more questionable moves we've seen through this entire situation. But now we're going to get the people talking about students coming back. That's going to be a big point of contention. But I think overall, these athletic departments have found a way – to manage this and minimize the risk, and we we got the two non-conference opponents. We we haven't seen a, a lot of, I guess uh, how do I how do I state this? We haven't seen a lot of extracurricular BS from SEC players regarding the season and what they think, and a lot of negativity. So I think they're ready to move forward, and and I think tonight we get the schedule. Uh, we'll be one step closer to hopefully getting some real football.
2: Well, like Sean said, thanks for joining us today. Um, With those power rankings, what was it specifically that led you to put UK in the top five?
0: Well, I think first and foremost, one thing that I like about Kentucky this year, I, I think we are embarking on maybe the least physical football season we've ever seen. Just because we didn't have a spring practice. And once we do get into fall practice, which begins for most teams today, I think personally, these coaches are going to tiptoe through that thing. I mean, it's going to be walking on eggshells. You're not going to get, you're not going to get a bunch of coaches that are out there going a bunch of middle drill and inside drill and Oklahoma. And they're not going to be going full speed to the ground very much because you're going to lose some guys to COVID this year. You're going to have some injuries. I mean, that was one issue in Oklahoma. They, They already had three or four guys that were, had season ending injuries in that preseason camp that they had already had. Some players were disgruntled about that. So I think you're going to have to sort of ease your way into this. Because of that, where has the physical acclimation period taken place to get ready for this season? So Kentucky is good there, up front on the offensive line. I think on the defensive line in the front seven, physicality is not going to be an issue for this team. You also have multiple running backs that I think can hurt you in different ways, and maybe you can offset the load, and and to steal an NBA phrase, have a little bit of load management with your backs early on, because I think you have three very capable tailbacks on that Kentucky football team. You bring in some experience at quarterback, some experience in the secondary, and I I just, number one, I think what Brad White did with that defense last year was phenomenal. They were the number four pass defense in the nation. Nobody nobody talks about it. And then I think number two, you look at how Eddie was able to alter the offense throughout the course of the season. Well, now he's basically going to have both of those offenses at his disposal because you have a quarterback that's going to have some mobility what if Joey Gatewood gets eligible? Then you could have a guy that could maybe take a little bit of a pounding at that position. And like I said earlier, with multiple tailbacks, you can still run some of the wildcat stuff or some of the, the options stuff you ran with Lynn Bowden last year. So I think Kentucky is more built for what this season's going to be. I think if you're relying on a lot of timing, a lot of quarterback, receiver, nonverbal communication, that kind of stuff, I think that's going to be more difficult to go out and execute this year than most other years.
1: And you mentioned the offensive line. When you turn the tape on and you watch those guys, what do you like most about that group?
0: Physicality and finish. I mean, they just they they played the game the way it was it's supposed to be played. And you can complain about some of the stuff that that Logan did last year. And I mean, I I'll, I'll trade that before I'll trade a guy that I have to coach into playing the game in a physical manner every single day. Uh, You know, I I can tell a guy not to jump on piles. I can't tell a guy to play through the whistle if he just inherently doesn't do that. That's much more difficult to bring that out in a guy than to take out a little something extra that's happening at the end of plays. But Coach Schlerman just does an amazing job of having these guys understand how to play the game. And I think it helped them a little bit last year that they didn't go as fast at times because that allows you to settle in and do that a little bit more. But there's, there's been great communication. They played well as a unit. And this, this goes back to a couple of years. Now, I can remember telling people about John Toth, and they thought I was crazy, that I thought he was maybe the second, third best center in the SEC, when you had a couple of NFL centers that year. And people were wondering what in the hell I was talking about. Uh, so this has been happening for quite some time. And I think now that standard is there. That expectation is there. And, you know, you've got an NFL center in Drake Jackson. Uh, You you probably have a couple of guys that are going to make rosters in Kennard and Young. And I think you have some numbers, which is good. You have a couple of guys that played some meaningful snaps last year, which I think will help a lot this year. I think depth is going to be massive in the SEC this fall. If we're talking about playing 10 conference games, depth is going to be huge. And I think they at least have a couple of guys who were able to assist and help and get some meaningful reps.
2: Cole, a couple of months ago uh, I spoke with Eddie Gran and Brad White on stability this year because when you looked around the league, there were some teams, Missouri um, had a coaching change, some other schools either had a coaching change or a coordinator change, and UK had none of that. They had a few position coach changes, but in the big scheme of things, there really weren't too many changes did you factor that into your rankings uh, at all? And, and if so, how much did that help out uh, UK spot?
0: Yeah, a little a little bit. Um, I still view Kentucky as more of a developmental program, uh, just with, with the way Coach Stoops has brought in different guys and found ways for them to be successful. It's not that Lynn Bowden didn't have talent coming out of high school. It's not that Josh Allen or Benny Snell didn't have talent coming out of high school or Bunchy Stallings, but... I think that they have maximized what those guys have brought to the table. And and not a lot of programs in college football are consistently able to do that. And then on top of that, you've been able to find ways to put guys in position to utilize their talent to the best of their ability. I mean, Lynn's a perfect example last year. Josh Allen a couple of years ago. Um, You know, not every – a lot of programs are just, hey, this is where you're going to play, either figure it out or don't. And I don't think Kentucky really operates that way. They find ways to help develop players and put them in position to be successful. So absolutely. Cause there's going to be a guy or two that we're not talking about. Like, I mean, i like, I feel like I know about Jamar Watson, but not many people are talking about him. I think he's going to have a good year, but there's going to be a guy or two on this team that we're just not talking about right now that probably towards the end of the season, we are saying, man, that where'd that guy come from? Uh, I didn't anticipate that kind of year from him. So um, I still view them as a bit of a developmental program, but I mean that in a, in a really good way because recruiting has gotten better. And I think what they've done to, to the stadium, what they've done with that football facility and being able to keep a lot of staff continuity, that's all helped with that. But at the same time, being able to take the two or three star guys that you do find and maximize their ability, that that's what's made the bigger difference for this program the last three years in my opinion.
1: And now we've talked about all the positives, but if there's one concern that you have about Kentucky that could maybe send the season the other direction, what would it be if you could find one?
0: Uh, I w- maybe wide receiver. I think I think Josh Lee could be a good wide receiver. Uh, I think he's fine. Um, you know, Alan Daly might be that guy, but I, I've oftentimes you sort of need that eraser. And, you know, the guy on third and six that, you know, you, you know he's getting a back shoulder ball. Or third and five, he's getting a slant when he's lined up in the slot. And and I don't know if they have, if they have that guy per se. But then I, I, they haven't really had that guy the last few years. Uh, you know, I thought, I thought Jeff Bidet could be that guy before he went to Oklahoma and then he went and had a pretty good year at Oklahoma. I think he could have been that guy. But I just don't know if they have a true number one big-time wide receiver. And I just, it's not that you can't win games without that. It's just, I know what that does for you when you have that. And especially the way that they play up front and the way that they're going to be able to run the ball. If you had that, boy, that would make a massive difference, a a massive difference. So, um, you know, I I think maybe overall athleticism in some spots concerns me a tad, but I, I mean, it's. I, I want to see if Terry Wilson stays healthy. I mean, I think that erases a lot of my concerns, to be honest with you. And and I don't really mean that anything against him. It's not a knock on him. It's just obviously you have that kind of an injury. You just wonder what it's going to be like when they actually get back. So I would say maybe not not the same athleticism as some of the teams that I had ranked above them. Uh, not having just a true big time number one wide receiver. Uh, and then, you know, obviously just, not knowing about Terry Wilson. I mean, from the clips that I've seen and what he said, it sounds like things are progressing in the right way. And if he's healthy and he can progress a little bit more as a passer, I mean, they they could even exceed my expectations this fall.
2: When you look at UK's schedule, and obviously you've got them ranked pretty high, is there kind of a two-part question? Is there one team that you could see UK maybe pulling an upset on this year? And on the other side, maybe is there a team that – UK will going to the game and you think, okay, Kentucky should win this game, but they should be careful with this team, if that makes sense.
0: Well, you know, I said coming into the season, and again, we'll find out tonight sort of chronologically where everything falls. We don't really know that right now. This thing could be completely revamped, and mm-hmm. I guess we could have an Iron Bowl week one, and, you know, who, who knows how the thing's going to look. But I said before all this went down that I thought the Auburn-Kentucky game – was sort of that swing game, sort of that fork in the road game that it felt like for so many years Auburn-Mississippi State was. Like there was a long time where it was week two, three, four, and Auburn-Mississippi and State played, and it seemed to just be a grind-out kind of a game, and whoever won that game sort of propelled off and had a really good year, and whoever lost it was kind of, holding on to their bowl hopes for the rest of the season i got 2013 is a perfect example everybody thinks about ricardo lewis and the prayer and jordan hair and the kick six but i mean nick marshall had to hit cj uzoma on a wheel route with like a minute 12 left in that game to actually go up at home and mississippi state was in control of that game most of that game 2010 you know, Cam Newton that offense, they couldn't do anything over in Starkville. I mean, they, they couldn't generate any offense. they get a big play late and find a way to win that game. I think it was like 17-10. They barely squeak one out, and then Auburn's off to the races. So, you know, there was a couple of years there where I think Auburn, in between that, was more well thought of, and then Mississippi State found a way to pull an upset, and then, you know, they're off to the races as well. I kind of thought that was the game – because I, there, I have a ton of concerns about this Auburn team. You know, four new starters on the offensive line. I'm, I don't know. You, know. you got Schwartz and Williams at wide receiver, but I'm a little concerned about Bo Nix and his progression as a quarterback. Uh, I want, I got to see it to believe it. I don't know how Chad Morse, Gus Malzon, the whole trading off of the offensive handling is going to be. And then just it's, I think Auburn's got the best group of linebackers in the league. But you lost a first-round draft pick in the secondary, two other good corners, and two of the best defensive linemen, one of the best defensive linemen we've ever seen in this league, and another one that's probably one of the better ones we've seen in the last 10 years that are both gone. So it's it's just tough to replace all that. Um, When you lose that much at the line of scrimmage, I just think life's going to be tough for a little while. So – I thought that was sort of the game, and I think that still is the game, depending on when it is. I mean, obviously, if that thing's week eight, we'll we'll know what they are by then. It won't make as much difference. But if that's an early game, like that's the one that I look at and say, okay, maybe Auburn can prove that they do belong to be in the conversation in the West, or if Kentucky's a real player in the East and they find a way to get that one, uh, now I think a lot of people's eyes will open up about Kentucky and think that they might be for real in 2020.
1: Sounds good, Cole. Uh, we really appreciate you taking some time to join us. Hopefully here in about four or five weeks, we've we got some football to watch.
0: I hope so. I'm glad you guys had me on and look forward to doing it again soon.
1: Absolutely. He's Cole Kublick and you're listening to Kentucky Daily. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back, everyone, to Kentucky Daily. As we begin to wrap things up on today's episode, uh, Derek, that was a really solid interview with Cole Kublick. You can tell he does he does his work. He knew Lee Allen, Daly. You know all the names. The names that not a lot of people probably, if you watch Kentucky football from an out from another vantage point in the SEC, you probably don't know some of these names that he threw out there. I, I like that he mentioned you know Boogie. I think Boogie's a guy that's gonna that's flown under the radar for a while that could have a huge year. Uh, I think the thing that sticks out the most though from that interview before we get what uh, you have to say with it, but and maybe we'll have the same thing. Kentucky is built for a season like this. I think that's what stood out the most to me from that entire 12 minute segment.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with him. You know, and I, I think maybe I'm. I'm not say I'm overplaying the stability thing. Maybe it didn't factor as much into his. Uh, thinking, but when you talk about the physicality, that was a very interesting point. I hadn't thought a whole lot about it's just how coaches are going to manage this this few weeks that they have this fall camp. But one thing that stood out to me was was the upset game because that's Auburn was the team that I I think we can both agree we'd seen that and and before COVID had happened, I'd seen that going back all the way to January. It could be a game that UK could win just because of the the losses that Auburn was having on the losing four linemen uh, on the offensive side, and then their defensive line was also being revamped. So they still have some players. There's no doubt they've recruited well. But when that line came out, I think – I don't remember when, but one of those batting websites had Auburn as like a 17-point favorite. And I was like, I, I just did not see that. I'm not saying Auburn won't win, but I, I just don't see a, a game – once he gets about 17 points, I kind of view that close to blowout territory depending on how the game played out. And I don't think that's going to happen at all. I mean, I think UK's at a – as good of a shot to to beat Auburn as any of the other, what you would perceive as an upset game. Uh, normally it would have been Georgia or Florida. I felt like Auburn was the game that could happen. Wish we could have got them to maybe give one potential upset pick on UK. But at the same time, I don't know that UK is necessarily moved into that range. Like I guess the point I'm trying to make is Ole Miss was 10th in his rankings, but do Ole Miss fans still expect to beat Kentucky? That's what I don't know. I would say it's probably, I don't know if they're going to view that as an upset, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, Ole Miss beat them in recent years. So, I mean, it's, it's, that's a good point. And also, I like, I just like the way he, he handles his interviews and stuff. He is so in depth with everything. And I always enjoy talking to him. I mean, the offensive line, um, I do like what he said. Um, about Auburn and the schedule with Auburn Mississippi state and how he compared that. Cause I do think that that game is the one that you and I circled it months ago. If this season had been played in a normal setup with Florida, we said that they had to win one of the two that you, if you want to compete in the East, you know, you've got to win that East West crossover game. That's like the year Kentucky played Texas A&M. If they could have gotten that game, it might've changed things. So it's uh, just going to be interesting to see how this schedule sets up later Uh, There's going to be one bye week that I think is very crucial. Where does that game come? Who does it divide between? Who do you get coming off of that bye week? Because, like he said, the the preparation and the physicality, I hadn't even thought of that when it comes to, you know, how coaches are going to have to manage this. Uh, I think, too, one more thing before we wrap up. I like how he mentioned the secondary. You know, they didn't get a lot of attention for the numbers that they had last year. I think that sort of just got swept under – you know, the mat a little bit, but that defense under Brad Watt, they improved significantly. And, uh, Derek, I'm just, I'm hoping that we have some football here in a few weeks and we might be on Yahtzee watch today.
2: Yeah. Um, certainly they certainly are on, on Yahtzee watch. Maxwell Harrison, a defensive back from Michigan, a state that Kentucky has been hitting pretty hard here lately. Um, he's announcing around 3:30, I believe that's Eastern time. Um, but a kid who I believe is not ranked super high right now, but he was one of those kids that for whatever reason, even though there weren't camps going on or anything like that, he he's received a bunch of offers during, I think, uh, maybe May, April or May. Kentucky was one of those schools that jumped in, and then he had Minnesota. Uh, which is a school these days that's recruiting very well. Had a great season last year. I mean, if you can beat them out for a recruit kind of in the Midwest, that's that's a, that's a good win. Uh, Virginia Tech's another school in its finalist, But I'm looking for him to commit to U.K. today and become the first commitment here that uh, we've seen in a few weeks, I believe.
1: Yeah, and it looks like things are moving on the basketball side before we wrap up uh, with Bryce Hopkins, the kid that just decommitted from Louisville. It, it looks like things are picking up between him and Kentucky. And I will actually be in Oak Park, Illinois, later this week where he's from. So I'm, I'm working on possibly setting something up for us there. Who knows, Derek, maybe if that thing plays out in Kentucky's favor, we might be able to get him on here. So uh, it will be something to watch in the next few weeks too as well. But uh, this has been another episode of Kentucky Daily. Uh, we're going to start uh, doing advertising pretty soon. So we'll give our emails, country at gmail.com. Derek is Derek. Terry 17 at gmail.com. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter. Uh, if you have any suggestions, thank you so much for the five star ratings and the reviews. Keep them coming. We greatly appreciate it. And we will have some schedule talk for you on tomorrow's episode. See you tomorrow.